Commemorating the 68th anniversary of the outbreak of Korean War falling on this day, June 25th, we are joined by Catherine Lee, a talented filmmaker and a humanitarian worker who directed the documentary film 9 at 38. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Key. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining. Can you start by telling us what the title of your film 9 at 38 means? Sure. It refers to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony at the 38th parallel. Wow, that's a very uh, impact and rather good title to for people to understand. And the story of Won Hyung-jun, Juilliard trained musician who aims to bridge the two Koreas with music, is truly inspiring. So, how's his effort been going? Thanks so much for the question. Um, and it's something I hear a lot um, as the movie has been uh, making its rounds in the festivals. You know, the audiences want to know this is something that we've captured now almost three years ago. So what is the latest? And uh, basically, he's still trying. And so many of the you know peace advocates on the Korean Peninsula see this kind of project as a long-term uh, pursuit and the exact manifestation is always changing. You know, it's not always necessarily a border concert between North and South Korean musicians to take place in Panmunjom um, on, you know, August 15th. But um, he's been trying different things with youth musicians. He's been engaging uh, some of the prominent universities in the U.S. and trying to engage Korean Americans. Um, he has interactions with, you know, the officials in Geneva, at the U.N., and um, I would say that especially since the movie has also brought him, you know, a bit more to the spotlight, he's been um, broadly serving as, as a peace messenger on the global stage. He's been speaking on a lot of, you know, in a lot of uh, different forums, uh, talking about the ability of music to bring peace, whether it's in Korea or elsewhere. And I think by, you know, doing that, he's actually inspiring other people to do the kind of thing that he's been trying to do. So, you know, he's, um, and he's very creative, so he's always trying to come up with new ways, you know, to when he uh, hits a roadblock, it's just what are different things I could try that don't face these geopolitical obstacles and can still make some headway in terms of, you know, human-to-human -human exchange, whether it be through music or something related to that. Wow, I do personally admire Mr. One's great work and efforts, and of course you too, uh, putting that work into a spotlight. And from my understanding, what you and Mr. One have in common, along with more than 100,000 in the country, is that you have family separated by the Korean War. So was that also part of the reason you made this film? You know, I do have a grandmother whose family is from North Korea, and after her, most of her immediate family perished in the Korean War, um, her and her, you know, newly single mother were in abject poverty in South Korea. And my grandmother, as a teenager, actually even tried to escape from South Korea on a boat to North Korea and, you know, failed, which is why I'm, I'm here now speaking to you. But, um, and stories like that are unfortunately not that uncommon, right, in Korea. But mm -hmm. actually, my the, the biggest drive for me to pursue the making of this movie, um, and it, it was <laughs> very much a drive I needed to feel during the two years of doing this, mm -hmm. um, was that I, I, you know, le I made a career shift, or rather, a, I guess, career addition um, as a filmmaker, because I thought 
that, you know, from the different work I had done um, around the world, uh, just seeing conflict and hostility, that people needed to see uh, just, you know, that people needed to feel empathy. Um, and that doesn't involve any policy making. That just involves people coming face to face and becoming familiar and interacting. And, um, you know, I was on my own path to trying to create a little bit of change uh, to do that via storytelling. And right in that moment, uh, like two weeks before I was leaving my full-time job, I came across an article about Wanyang Jun's story. And it just struck me, um, you know, as someone who also um, sings and, you know, um, has also done that for social justice, you know, causes back in the U.S., um, I just felt the connection to what he was trying to do. And so it went beyond the fact that I have divided family or that I'm from Korea or that I, you know, do music. But I, I just really thought that this was a worthwhile effort. And if it succeeds, then something really historic that I wanted to be part of. And so, you know, going to Korea uh, with, with a crew at the last minute to film this, I and everybody else, we thought it was, you know, always about this event, this um, potentially very historic event that was going to happen in a very dramatic fashion, you know, at the joint security area with violin bows instead of guns pointed to the sky. But um, after two weeks of filming, we actually, I, I walked away from production realizing, wow, this is not a story about an event, but it's a story about a person, about a character. And, you know, I was a first-time director at that time, and so this wasn't as evident to me, but I'm so glad that that is the direction that the story took because when audiences watch the movie, they connect so deeply with the main character and, you know, they come up to me and tell me this. So that, I think, is the reason that it is able to move people and inspire and then leave a lasting impression because people can relate to the struggles and the sacrifices of the main character and that none of us are perfect. And so, you know, you have to make certain choices to uh, pursue something like this. And, well, I think mm -hmm. I digressed quite a bit from your question. <laughs> well, I mean, I also do have uh, my grandfather who passed away, but he also is from Hwangedo province, so he has separated family back in North Korea. So I guess I'm, I can share your vision as well. But speaking of which, you were on our show a year ago to talk about the film as far as I understand, and last time the film was still in post-production. So what stage is it in now? We've been so fortunate that, you know, we were able to get the resources to finish the movie. Um, we have, you know, started to do our festival run. And so we have, in the last couple months, um, we had the honor to show at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. Um, and we will probably have another Tribeca-sponsored showing sometime this summer um, again in New York. Uh, we've also been able to show at the UN in Geneva, um, tomorrow, actually, we have a screening at the SSFS in Tokyo, um, which is our first Asian festival. And right now, uh, perhaps most excitingly for me, just because I always wanted this story to be viewed as widely and globally as possible, uh, we are currently on a limited time uh, stream on The Atlantic. Um, so you can actually watch the movie on The Atlantic with a small article that also gives a bit of background. And, um, you know, we have more ambition to have the story seen and, uh, you know, even including in both Koreas. So we will keep you updated on those efforts as certain things come to possibility. <laughs> okay. Well, that was Catherine Lee, a humanitarian worker and a director for the documentary Film 9 at 38. Good luck with your film. Thanks so much.
And we can now bring in the scholar who initiated the Legacies of Korean War Project, Professor Christian Hong from University of California, Santa Cruz. Professor Hong is an executive board member of the Korea Policy Institute, and she has spent time in North Korea as part of the North American Peace Delegation. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining this morning. And can you tell us a bit more about this project, Legacies of Korean War? You know, it's one of many um, projects that were initiated by Korean Americans um, to memorialize, um, you know, the the costs, uh, the human costs of the unending Korean War. There are an estimated 100,000 Korean Americans who come from separated families. And um, within the past, I'd say, decade or so, there's been a spate of projects, including our own, that um, capture the oral histories of people who come from these separated families. And really what these stories reveal is, um, you know, the, the, these kinds of um, hidden stories of pain uh, behind uh, this perpetual war, you know, that the United States has had with North Korea. And uh, do you have any specific story from the war survivors that you'd like to share with our listeners? There are so many. Um, there was, um, there's a couple that lives in Southern California. And as you realize, um, most of these Korean War survivors, the ones who are still living, they were largely children during the time of the hot fighting years. And this couple, you know, they uh, won the the... Um, he's a retired pastor. He came from the north, and his wife came da- from the south. And they came from diametrically opposed political backgrounds. He came from um, a sort of diehard anti-communist Christian background. She came from the south, you know, by contrast. And her um, older s- siblings, her two older brothers, both um, one went to North Korea. And the other one actually fought along with partisans in um, Chibi Mountain. And, you know, they told very different stories. And what she spoke about was the fact that her younger, her, the younger of her two older brothers, um, he had, um, she spoke about how in the Korean American Christian community in which she and her husband um, moved, that was their social circle. She said that for years she could never about her her background because there was so much stigma associated with it. But she spoke about how now that she was getting older, she felt really compelled to speak about her beloved brother who was killed um, in Chibisan, you know, fighting. And she said that no nation had claimed him. South Korea didn't claim him. North Korea didn't claim him. He was a kind of unmentionable, and his name was lost to history. And she felt compelled to say that he had lived and that his life had meaning. Um, You know, her husband, by contrast, he spoke about um, being parted as a young child from his mother and thinking that she was close on his heels. And he he was part of a refugee column um, that was moving toward the South. And he spoke about how in the early days going from North to South, you know, you would hear people calling out, you know, they'd be calling out like mother, father, they'd be calling out their siblings' names. And he said, as they continued marching, and as days turned into weeks, 
silence ensued. There was absolute, utter silence. And I think about that almost as a kind of metaphor for um, the kind of chilling effect that, you know, sort of has is a consequence of this unending Korean War and the fact that many of these people who experienced such heartache for many years didn't feel as though they could share their stories. So hopefully uh, the latest development between two Koreas could help your projects. And lastly and quickly, how do you think the project can affect the average American's perception of the Korean War that's often described as the Forgotten War? You know, I think that people in the United States, you know, this is um, a society that has the, you know, has a kind of bad case of imperial amnesia when it comes to its really bloody wars of intervention. And as the historian Bruce Cummings has stated, the United States has the luxury of being the party of forgetting, unlike Koreans who make up the party of memory. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, when it comes to not just discussion in our current moment of denuclearization and the question of whether or not the United States and North Korea have the same definition of denuclearization, but really the key question is, does the United States have the same understanding of what peace means to the Korean people? And so, you know, one thing that I think that these kinds of very um, human stories reveals to a lot of Americans who don't understand what it means to be in the crosshairs of the U.S. war machine is really how profoundly tragic this experience of unending war has been. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, in these stories, you have um, an argument, a powerful argument for peace. Okay, thank you. That was Professor Kristen Hong, University of California, Santa Cruz. Thank you so much. You're welcome.